Lord be with you. Well, thank you, Heidi. The Lord be with you. My prayer this morning is that the Christ child would be reborn in each one of us today, this morning. Now, this past week, I watched a good movie with my wife and kids, The Odd Life of Timothy Green. Anybody seen it? Okay, a couple people. It's one of the better PG movies that's come out lately. Uh, And I'm not normally the type of person that will sit and think about a movie after it happens. I don't typically dissect the plot line. I don't look for the subliminal messages put out by the director. But for some reason, this movie stuck with me this past week. I was a little surprised at that. Without blowing the plot line, the movie's about this pre-adolescent boy who miraculously shows up on the doorsteps of Jim and Cindy Green. They were unable to have children, so when Timothy shows up, yay, it's a miracle. Now the odd thing about him, one of the many odd things about him, was that he had leaves growing on his ankles and his lower calves. I won't go into any detail on that, but that was just one of the many odd things. Whenever the sun came out, he would also put his arms way out like this and sit there and sweep the rays. It didn't matter what he was doing, whether he was playing dodgeball or in the middle of a soccer game, he would stop and everybody would stare. There was a scene in the movie with him getting bullied in the school. It's kind of odd, but he just grinned while it took place. He wouldn't fight back. He was just an odd It was interesting to watch in the movie how he was received by the rest of the extended Green family, as well as the community at large. Like I said, movies don't typically stay stuck in my mind, but this one did. And it hit me Wednesday when I was outside shoveling snow as to why. Timothy was odd. He was a misfit, and he really wasn't the type of person that maybe most of us or most in our community would hang out with. And here's, here's where we get going this morning. The type of people like Timothy, the outcasts, the misfits, these were the type of people that the Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus Christ was for. My aha moment, shoveling, was that in Luke, Timothy Green would have been adamantly accepted and welcomed by Jesus. Over the last five weeks, we've been looking at the big picture of Luke's gospel. We've been hitting broad strokes of his key themes. We've looked at how he did his research, made sure that everything was in order before he wrote. We looked at his focus on prayer. We looked at his focus on praise. And last week, we looked at how he had a much higher view of women than was the case in the culture in his day, often in the culture in our day also. This week, in studying for this message, it was clear that the final broad stroke we should cover was Luke's emphasis on the misfit, on the cultural outcast, on the odd people. Before we dive into God's word, I'd like to ask his blessing on it. Won't you pray with me? Father, we thank you that so many years ago, a guy named Luke chose to write the story of Jesus. We thank you that we have had a chance to dive into this story, to look at the key themes in it. And we thank you, Lord, that today we get to do that again. We look forward to what you will bring us, and we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what you would have each one of us here, both individually and corporately as a community this morning. 
We ask your blessing on our time in the Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The final broad stroke we'll cover is that Luke's emphasis was on the misfit, the cultural outcast, the odd people. And we see this first in Luke's highlighting of the Samaritans. In a parable unique to Luke, this tells of a Jewish man who had been beat up on the side of the road. A Jewish priest walks by first and goes to the other side, didn't stop to help him. And then a temple assistant, a Levite, came by also, but he didn't stop. And Jesus tells us in Luke 10, verse 33, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a story that almost all of us, if not all of us, have heard. Yet a story that would have shaken the listeners in Jesus' day to the core. God, no, don't tell us about a Samaritan. A couple of weeks back, we, when talking about praise, we looked briefly at the story of the ten lepers that were healed by Jesus. Only one of them came back, and this person praised God for what happened. And Luke was very clear. The man who came back was a Samaritan. Luke chapter 17, verse 15 and 16. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. Luke is very particular here. He says, this man was a Samaritan. This man was a Samaritan. For us today who don't fully understand the gravity of this final sentence, we could perhaps miss the point. Maybe a little cultural history would help. The Samaritans were a race of people that resulted from the intermarriage between Jews and Gentiles after the Old Testament exile, after the captivities. So they were half-breeds, Jews and Gentiles. You can see that story in 2 Kings 17. When the Jews returned from exile, they refused to allow the Samaritans to help them rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. There was deep animosity between those two groups. The Samaritans went on to form their own kind of sect or denomination on account of not being allowed back in by their purebred Jewish brothers and sisters. But Jesus at least in Luke's story, says he is for the Samaritans, not against them. And it's interesting with this focus in Luke's gospel, if we were to look at the, the story in Matthew's gospel of Jesus sending out his 12 apostles on their first journey to go and heal and preach and kind of be some apprenticing, the account found in Matthew's gospel really sheds light on the emphasis in Luke's gospel on the Samaritans. Matthew 10, 5 and 6, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only go to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. That's in Matthew. But Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, is for the Samaritans. They are part of the odd group that he readily accepts. 
The second group of people that were not often or that were often shunned by culture of that day, especially many in the church, were the poor. And yet when you read through Luke, you see Jesus highlighting and welcoming the poor to himself over and over again. We see this early in the gospel when Jesus' mother brought her post-birth purification offering to the temple. Luke 2.24 says, So they, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, so they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons was not the normal sacrifice required. The normal sacrifice after giving birth was a lamb. But Leviticus 12.8 tells us, if a woman cannot afford to bring a lamb, she must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Jesus was born to poor parents, and you've got to figure he'd grow up with an affinity for the poor, which he did. When John the Baptist sent emissaries to Jesus to find out who Jesus really was, Luke 7.22 says, Then Jesus told John's disciples, Go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to who? The good news is being preached to the poor. Oddballs and misfits highlighted by this effort to share the gospel with the economically downtrodden. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 16 of a rich man and Lazarus who ended up in Hades. The rich man. Where did Lazarus end up? On the other side with Abraham. When Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, the first thing he says is, Blessed are the poor, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. When Jesus teaches that same sermon in Luke, he begins it slightly differently. Blessed are you poor, for the kingdom of heaven is yours. The poor versus you poor. Jesus personalizes it in the Gospel of Luke. For a culture that equated material wealth with God's blessing and a lack of wealth with God's absence, this was huge for Jesus to willingly welcome the poor. Samaritans, the poor. Our third group of oddballs and misfits that you could not miss if you read the Gospel of Luke was a group of people called outcasts and sinners. Every page we turn in Luke, we see Jesus with the outcast and the sinner. He's hanging out with them. In Luke 5, we see him at Matthew's house eating with sinners. He lets the sinful woman anoint his feet, a story unique to Luke in chapter 7. Jesus goes over to the wee little man's house who happened to be a tax collector, a social outcast in Luke chapter 19. It's the only gospel that story is told in. That's the prayer of the sinner that Jesus says God accepts. Luke 18, another story told only in Luke. While hanging on the cross, Jesus accepts the outcast sinner next to him. The only place that conversation was recorded, Luke's gospel. Jesus is called a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of sinners. Sinners and the outcasts. This is who Jesus welcomed. How often do we hear of him touching lepers? How often do we hear of him surrounded by women and others that the society would not have normally hung out with? I think the story of the prodigal son 
puts an icing on this cake this morning. This story, too, was only told in Luke. You know the story. The older of two sons goes and asks his dad for his half of the inheritance. Dad gives it to him. So he goes away to this foreign area, and he blows all the money on, on hookers and poker games. And then he becomes a non-kosher hog farmer. I think many of you parents could say there's a legitimate argument that that kid was a rebellious son. Yes? That kid was a rebellious son. Now what did the Old Testament tell you you should do with a rebellious son? Thank you. Stone him. Leviticus, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 18. Suppose a man has a stubborn and rebellious son. In such a case, the father and mother must take the son to the elders as they hold court at the town gate. The parents must say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious and refuses to obey. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town must stone him to death. In this way, you will purge this evil from among you, and all Israel will hear about it and be afraid. The prodigal son was a sinner. He should have been a social outcast. But instead of rejection, we get one of the most famous stories Jesus told of a father welcoming this sinner outcast back into his arms. So far, we've seen Jesus actively involve the Samaritans the poor, and now this group called outcasts and sinners. The fourth group of odd people that Jesus accepts that the gospel writer Luke mentions many times is the Gentiles. These were the non-Jews. This would have been like the Roman centurion who Jesus went to his house to heal her, his daughter. These were the people mentioned in Luke 13 when Jesus said, and people will come from all over the world from east to west, north to south, to take their places in the kingdom. Now, as with those first three groups of people we've already looked at, listening to Jesus' welcoming comments about non-Jews in the kingdom would not have settled well for those trying to be good Jews. <clears throat> they had grown up for years and years and centuries upon centuries thinking back to the passage in Leviticus where God says, I am holy, you must be holy. I have set you apart for myself. The Gentiles were not part of that set-apart group. Gentiles were not received well by Jews, period. Except, that is, by Jesus. One commentator says that Jesus' heart ran out to everyone for whom life was an unequal struggle. In the movie I mentioned earlier, Timothy Green's best friend ended up being another misfit. Another odd person. Somehow, for some reason, those two just connected. Now, the parents didn't initially like it. This person was different, after all. But that's who Timothy ended up spending most of the time with. And it seems like thus far, in this broad stroke of Luke's gospel, that the oddballs were the ones Jesus came for. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise to us. You've heard me talk about the least of these many times before how we should be reaching out to, not neglecting the least of these. But here's a little bit of a rub. As I was preparing this message, a bit of a negative emotion rose up within me, and it caught me a bit off guard. I like the least of these. I like hanging out with them. I feel I can relax and let my hair down and be myself with them, and I'm, I'm thrilled that Jesus had such a focus on them. 
The emotion that rose up within me created some pointed questions, and I found myself almost cynically asking, okay, Jesus, so you came for the oddball, the social misfit, the crazy people. What about those of us who are normal? What about those of us who are not odd? What about those of us who grew up in the church, who have parents that were Christians and missionaries and pastors? What about us? Would you ever choose to hang out with us? I know these questions could sound a little bit arrogant and take us on several different rabbit trails. I don't want to go down any of those this morning. This morning I want to look at what Luke says concerning those questions. Believe it or not, Luke also shows us that Jesus wants to hang out with those people also. Those that have a religious history. Those that are seeking to be righteous. You have to look no farther than the early Advent text that we typically look at this time of year. Look at John the Baptist's parents. Zechariah was in the priestly line of Abijah. Elizabeth came from the priestly line of Aaron, Moses' brother. Jesus' earthly father, the line of King David. These people had rich spiritual histories, and Jesus chose to make himself known to them. <coughs> Excuse me. And there are those we see as active and regulars in the church that Jesus also chose to be around. Simeon, the devout old man. Anna, the woman who spent all her time praying and fasting in the temple. Those people in the temple that chose to listen and ask questions of Jesus when he was 12 years old. And when Jesus started his official ministry, he often ended up in the churches preaching. Luke 4, 16, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read scriptures. Luke 4, 31, just 16 verses later says, Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue every Sunday. After reading these verses, my emotions settled a little bit. But then I found myself saying, all right, God, who is it? Did you come for the social odd misfit, or did you come for those trying to be holy? I could have probably saved us a lot of time this morning had I just started with this final point. But we needed to take this journey together. Who was this gospel of Jesus for? Who is this gospel of Jesus for today? If you take anything away from this morning's message, I want you to take this point home. According to Luke, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. There is a universality to it. It is for all people. Yes, Jesus is for the oddball, the Samaritan, the sinner, the outcast, the poor, and the Gentile. He's also for those who have grown up in the church, whose parents and grandparents and great-grandparents have, have been going to church. It is for everyone and Luke, more than anyone, more than any of the other gospel writers, makes that very, very, very clear. Luke 2, verse 10. But the angel reassured the shepherds, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Simeon, a few verses later, said, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal to the and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Now this was interesting. All four gospel writers quote from Isaiah 40 when talking about John the Baptist. Listen to Matthew 3.3. 3. 
He says, he has a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 3, says the exact same thing. He has a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. In the Gospel of John, it actually has John the Baptist talking, and he says, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Those are all out of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, but it is only Luke that carries this passage out to its glorious and triumphant conclusion. Luke, chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said he is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. We've heard this thus far. But Luke keeps going. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. Who did Luke emphasize? All people. Who would see God's salvation? All people. Jesus is for everyone. Amen. Amen. I'll say it again. Jesus is for everyone. So what? What does that mean for us? Most of you sitting in here knew that. If Jesus walked the earth today the way he walked it 2,000 years ago, do you think he'd be hanging out with people of different sexual orientations than us? Do you think he'd be hanging out with Democrats or Republicans? Would he be going over to the Mormon's house for dinner? Or playing ping pong with the Muslims? Would he be taking a walkabout with the Aborigine? Yes. Would Jesus be seen with your neighbor who spends more time on his deck smoking than in his house doing anything else or out looking for a job? Probably. Who is this gospel for? Everyone. I guess that leaves us with only a couple of questions. Who? If anyone, are we withholding this glorious gospel from? Who are we not sharing it with because we don't think Jesus would want to hang out with them? Surely we don't have any modern day Samaritans, do we? Crossbreeds of our faith that may have strayed slightly from the right gospel? Surely we don't have any people that look down on the poor, do we? Those who cannot get out of this systemic cycle of poverty? They cannot get out simply by pulling up their own bootstraps. Surely we don't have any outcasts. And who's the modern-day leper? Sex offenders. Surely we don't have any sinners today. No. Do we have any Gentiles? Do we have any people that we view ourselves as a little bit better than because we're God's chosen? Are there people we're not sharing this gospel with? Have we not received certain people the way that Jesus would have received them? Only you guys can answer that. Because even if you've outwardly received them, it doesn't mean you've done so in here, in your heart. Luke is very clear. This gospel, this Jesus Christ, this baby we celebrate, celebrate being born tomorrow, he is for everyone. Luke says Jesus is for everyone. And according to Luke's gospel, the doctor is in. And he is ready to see the odd people like Timothy Green. 
and he's ready to see anybody else who will come and see him. Will you be there? Who will you take with you? Let's pray. Father, what a reminder this was to me, personally. In a, in a Christmas season where I'll get frustrated standing in line next to somebody, it is a good reminder to realize that you are for them just as much as you are for me. I thank you that we could be reminded of that this morning as a body of faith, as a people seeking to follow after you. God, I pray that you would give us that same heart to welcome everyone into our, into our family of faith. Not just inside our walls, Lord, but into our lives. As challenging as that may be, Lord, whether they are good, God-fearing people or whether they have never set foot in a church, I ask that you would give us the courage and the grace and the boldness to do that. I ask that we would be able to do that because your son set the example for us. Jesus, thank you that in the Gospel of Luke, you showed you were for everyone. I pray as we go through tomorrow and the next day that we would be reminded of that. I pray we'll see people through your eyes as we travel from one house to another celebrating with our families. May we see people through the eyes of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.